0: I praise you. You're the Holy One, and I praise you. You're the Holy One, and I praise you. Lord, I give my life. You're my everything and I need you. You're my everything and I need you. Lord I give my life. Lord, I give my life. I want you to just tell him you love him, Miss. More than anything. More than anything. Lord, we just worship you. God. God, we give you praise, we give you glory, we give you honor. We magnify you worship, we glorify your holy name. We lift you up, oh God. We worship you. We thank you, Father, for your presence in this place, oh God. Have your way. Move by your spirit. Do only what you can do. Speak to each and every one of us. Let nobody leave this place the same. And God, we just want to thank you praise you. We bless you. We worship you. For you alone are worthy. You're holy. You alone are true. We glorify you this morning and we worship. Hallelujah. We give you praise. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Now come on, let's just give Jesus a praise this morning. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give Jesus a praise. These words. Come on, give you praise this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. We worship you, oh God. We give you praise. We give you praise. Hallelujah. Come on, you ain't got to stop. Give Jesus a praise this morning. He is worthy. Hallelujah. He's worthy. 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 We worship you. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory to God, we worship you this morning. Why don't you get up out your seats, go to somebody, greet them, give them a hug, give them a good handshake. Tell them it sure is good to see you in the house of God this morning. Come on, don't be bashful, don't be shy. Get up out your seat and bless somebody this morning. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's right. Don't be shy. Get up, greet somebody, bless them, love them on them a little bit. Welcome them to the house of God this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. many, many. All right. Let's get right down to business this morning. Glory to God. How's everybody doing this morning? You guys good? Blessed? Amen, amen, amen. How many of you had a good start to your new year? Good start to the new year? Good. Good. So we're going to get right into the word this morning. If you have your Bibles, just turn to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to get right into the word of God. I'm going to continue on the theme of uh, putting God first in 2019. And, you know, I just say, if you put God first, everything else that you're looking for, will begin to fall in line. You just got to put God first. You know, people want the um, the secret ingredient, the secret recipe. Well, the first ingredient is putting God first. That's the very first ingredient. You begin to put God first in your life, you'll start seeing miraculous things happen. So I just want to talk about that just a little bit this morning. Um, we we started with the scripture in Matthew chapter six, verses 31 through 33. And it says there, therefore, do not worry and be anxious, saying, what are we going to have to eat? What are we going to have to drink? Or what are we going to have to wear? And it says there for the Gentiles or those that don't know God or have a relationship with God, those that are not saved, see, they wish for and they crave and diligently seek all of these things. See, the world is concerned about these things. But God is telling us here that we don't have to be concerned about those things because the, the bottom line is he already knows that we have need of them. <laughs> and, um, you know, David says, um, he says, I've been young and I've been old. And he says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or seed begging bread. So he said, the Gentiles seek, seek and crave after all these things. And he says, your heavenly father knows well that you need them all. There's, there's things that you need, and God already knows that you need these things. And the biggest thing here is that you don't you don't get into a place where you begin to be overly concerned about these things. Because he's saying he already knows that you have need of them. He said, but what he wants you to do is seek or aim and strive after first of all. Not, not on the back burner. Not, you know, if I get some time to, you know, after I finish doing what everything I need to do. If I got a little time, then. I'll give a little bit of it to God. No, he said, but first, but seek first of all his kingdom or really the expansion of his kingdom and his righteousness or his ways of doing and being right. And then all these things taken together will be given you besides. Says if you seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, you begin to strive after putting God first and putting his agenda first and seeking him first, and um, not so much being concerned about what's on your plate, but focusing on what God wants us to focus on. He said, then all these other things that you're concerned about, these things that you're worrying about, these things that you're hoping will come to pass for you in your life, he said, I'll just give them to you. He said, you got no problem with that. You know, because none of this stuff really, um, everything, But you need to understand that everything that's on this planet belongs to God. And he's willing to turn it over to his his children. He loves us. But when we begin to seek things first, we, we get out of order. And when we get out of order, we wind up losing out, not just on the things that we're running after, but then also the privilege of serving him in this kingdom. So I put here, you know, one thing that I want to get over to you today is that if you put God first, you can pretty much have whatever you're desiring. Ain't no question about that. And I put here, I know that's a pretty bold statement, but you have to realize that God is the possessor of heaven and earth. That's what Abraham called him. That means that he owns everything that He that's on his planet, and he wants you to freely enjoy it. He doesn't mind you having things. He just minds when things have you. And more importantly, when they have your primary focus and attention. If you put all your focus on things and you take it off of him, You know, that's why the Bible says that he's a jealous God. (laughs) Because he doesn't want anything else to take the focus off of him. If you put him first and you make him your focus, you can have anything else. But if you focus on that stuff, you'll lose out on everything. And I put it, you see, the problem with most people is that their priorities are and focus are off. They put everyone and everything else before God. But they want God to bless them. With what they're desiring. Everything else comes before him. But then we want God to just bless us when we're ready for him to bless us. And I put here, they put God last, but they want God to put them first. <laughs> but God says that if you'll put him and the things that really matter to him first, which is of course the population of the kingdom and you living right, then he will just give you everything else because he already knows that you that you need them. So seek first the kingdom of God, the expansion of the kingdom of God and his righteousness or living right, being right, doing right. And then he said all this other stuff, just, he'll just give it to you, you know. So um, I want to get into a little something today. I, uh, this was just a little cap, recap from last week. But I put here, you know, if you want to be successful, you have to first of all focus on expanding his kingdom. And I put here, everybody has a role to play. And everyone has been blessed with a gift to help with the expansion of the kingdom of God. Because that's where we're at. we're at. We're at the time where we need to stop, you know, focus on foolishness. Because this, this uh, world is wrapping up very rapidly. And um, you begin to focus on all of this other stuff that really means nothing. And now focusing on, the, you know, on the kingdom of God, you know, you, you'll, be, you'll be really missing out. Because God left us here not so we can just accumulate things. He left us here so we could expand the kingdom. We have a truth that people don't know of. You know, we, we, most of the world is walking around in gross darkness. They're blind. They have no clue that this world is ending rapidly. You know, they could care less about God. And um, when this world is over, you're going to have to go to wherever you made your bed, whether that's heaven or hell, you're going, you're going to go somewhere. So we get away from teaching like that, and we start focusing on, you know, just uh, all of these things. <laughs> and at the end of the day, things mean nothing because once we get to heaven, we're not going to be able to use those things at all. And I said, you, I've never seen nobody with a U-Haul truck. You know, when they died and taken it up to heaven with them, all of their personal possessions in the U-Haul van. Nobody. You're going to go up there. The only thing you're going to have is what you did for Jesus. That's it. The life you lived while you were here, the souls that you've accumulated, the people that you've touched for Jesus, that's what you're going to have. That's going to be your currency in heaven. That's going to be what's going to get you, you know, the treasures and the jewels and your crown and the eternal rewards. And that's why Jesus says, you know, stop, don't, don't stir up treasures on earth where people can break in and steal it and where it can start, you know, rusting and decaying. He says, store up treasures in heaven where nobody can break through and steal it. Once you store up those treasures, they'll be waiting for you once you get there. All right, let me just move on, man. You know, I just really was thinking about this and, um, I said, you know, there's really three things that we can begin to give God that can begin to expand his kingdom. You can give your time, your talent, and your treasure. Or all three, you know, giving your time to him, you know, giving your time, spending quality time with God on a regular basis. You know, not just giving him the leftover, the ashes of your life, you know, like you, you, you spend all day giving your best people could care less about you (laughs) and then um, you want to give God a couple of minutes the one that loves you the most you know the one that you know the one that cares for you the one that can really do something you know we need to start making God a priority in our life so you can give him first your time you know don't give him leftovers give him the best part of your day spend time quality time with God Then you can give him your talent. If you have have talent, if you have something that that you can do, you should be be giving that to God. If you can sing, sing for him. You know, if you can administrate, do some administrative work. Whatever you can do to to help the furthering of the kingdom, you should be getting involved in. And then your treasure. You know, and people don't want to talk about this, but people, you know, they just don't want to give no more. (laughs) And, um... But God, that's a system that God has established. He, is, he, he established a system and put it in place so that you can, if you sow, you can round up reaping a harvest. But the purpose of him asking you to sow is so he can expand his kingdom. And then if you put him first and help expand the kingdom, then he'll begin to prosper you so that you can have more than enough so that you can then continue to expand his kingdom. The more you have, the more you can give. And then the more you give, the more you'll have. (laughs) See, people stop giving because I I can't. I don't have it to give. Well, you don't have it to give because you ain't giving. (laughs) See, I know it doesn't make sense to the mind. It doesn't make sense to the natural mind. But, you know, the amazing thing is last year I gave more money than I've ever given in my life, but I made more money than I ever made in my life. because I'm a consistent giver. You know, I don't give when it's convenient. I give, I, I give because I know that that's a principle. Now, today I wanna, I'ma talk about this. And I know people gonna get mad and stuff like that, but that's all we'll right. talk about it anyway. I put here, you know, it takes money to preach, train up leaders and spread the gospel. This building's not free. It costs money to operate, and God has asked you to do your part in keeping the house of God open, and it's called tithes and offerings. This church helps the expansion of his kingdom because it teaches people how to live this life before God. It feeds people through things like the food pantry. It counsels people that need help, marries people, buries people for free. I never asked nobody to, to money to, to marry them or to bury them. I don't ask my people money for that. It gives, it gives you a safe, godly place to gather, be refreshed, and learn about God on a weekly basis, and it prepares you spiritually to live this life and to win souls for the kingdom. But all of that, costs, all of that ain't free. So God has called you to do your part. He didn't ask you to fund everything. He just said do your part. And, you know, I want to debunk a myth. I was studying something, and, you know, I was reading something, and it really blew my mind how people thought that, that Jesus was poor. <laughs> I, was, I was reading something, and they was talking about how he was, in, he was poor, and he was in poverty and all of this stuff. I was like, are you serious? Are you reading the same Bible I'm reading? It took money to fund the ministry of Jesus. Did you know that? You Think about it. See, I, I hate when people turn their minds off, and they just get so spiritual that they don't think no more. You figure Jesus uh, didn't work for three and a half years. Neither him nor his disciples. <laughs> Twelve people following him and none of them was working for three and a half years, traveling from town to town. And you think that they was all broke. Well, I'm going to show you scripturally because I know, you know, Luke eight, one through three. I love this. It's in the God's Word translation. Listen to this. It says, after this, Jesus traveled from one city and village to another. He spread the good news about God's kingdom. And it says the 12 apostles were with him. Also, some women were with him. And it says, and they had been cured from evil spirits and various illnesses. So these women were following him. They was freed from the devil by Jesus, and they began to follow him. And it says, and these women were Mary, also called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had been cast out, Joanna, whose husband Chusa was Herod's administrator, Susanna, and many other women. And this is what the Bible says. They provided financial support for Jesus and his disciples. And these were wealthy women. If you do a study on it, they were very wealthy women. So now these guys ain't working. <laughs> these women are providing their financial support. Now, I'm going to show you this. And I see I'm, I'm teaching you this for yourselves personally. But then also when people start talking stupid stuff to you, then you can then you know how to how to you know reply. You know, well Jesus was poor, he didn't have nothing, you know. What poor person do you know? What person living in poverty do you know that requires a treasure? How many of you have a treasure? You living in poverty? How many of you have a treasure? Now, I'm going to show you something in scriptures. Now, John chapter 12, verses 3 to 6, it says, Then Mary took a pound of very expensive perfume of pure nard, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. This is in John 12, 3 through 6. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. It says, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was going to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii? Now, just so that you understand what that is, 300 denarii is a year's wage for a working man. So a working man, right, so let's just let's equate that to the, today, the right, a working man. Now, if you go over to, you know, to uh, Home Depot and you pick up somebody to work for you for the day, they'll charge you about 100 bucks for the day. That's a working man's wage. So now if you look at that for a year, right, say you work five days a week, 52 weeks a year, that's $26,000. That's how much this perfume was worth. And she began to just crack it open and pour it on Jesus, right? <laughs> so she poured it on his feet, his hair, stuff like that. Twenty-six thousand dollars? Can you imagine that? Twenty-six thousand dollars worth of perfume? Even if it was thousand dollars, <laughs> I mean that's a lot of. I mean that's a lot to crack open and start pouring it on somebody. She cracks this thing open, starts pouring it on Jesus, right? And Judas gets upset. Says, "Why wasn't this perf? What's all this waste? Why we didn't take this?" and sell it for $26,000, and she could have gave it to us, and we could have sold it, right? And then he says, and then give the money to the poor, right? Now, the Bible doesn't cut no corners. It says, now, he said this not because he cared about the poor. <laughs> I love I the scriptures, man. <laughs> now, he said this not because he cared about the poor, for he cared nothing about them. That's what the Amplifier says. For he had never cared about them. That's what the Bible says. And it says, but because he was a thief, and since he had the money box, serving as treasurer for the 12 disciples, he used to pilfer what was put into it. How much money do you have to have in a, a, a money box for you not to realize that someone's stealing from it? Again, don't turn your mind off. Don't read scriptures and just keep going how much money do you have to have in a box for someone to be able to put his hand in it and continue to steal from it and you don't notice? It ain't a couple of bucks. It ain't 20 bucks, I guarantee you. In John 13, 27 through 29, it says, after Judas had taken the piece of bread, Satan entered him. This Now he's sitting there, this is at the Last Supper. Now he's here... Here he is. Can you imagine? Last supper, Jesus at the table. Twelve disciples sitting around the table. They're eating a meal. He, he takes the bread, and the devil enters into him. Right there with Jesus and every twelve disciples, everybody's there. The devil comes right on in the room and gets into Judas. <laughs> After Judas had taken a piece of bread, Satan entered him. And Jesus, of course, the only one really being aware of it, said... What you're going to do, do it quickly. Don't delay. But no one reclining at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought, since Judas, as the treasurer of the group, had the money box, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast. Or that he was going to give something to the poor. So the disciples, you know, the devil gets into Judas and, you know, Jesus says, do whatever you got to do quickly. All of the disciples are thinking, oh, okay, well, Judas is going to, you know, buy some stuff for our feast. Not scraps. We're going to have a feast, and Judas is going to buy some stuff for the feast. Or, you know, he's going to bless some poor people because he had the money box. But Jesus, was, he was poor, though. Three and a half years traveling from city to city. You had to eat. Had to find some place to sleep. Was getting on boats left and right. Him, not just him. All his disciples. Even if you went and ate at the Golden Corral. If you had to feed 13 people, it cost you a lot of money. I'll give you into a cheap place to eat. Feeding 12 people, 13 people cost you some money. I don't care how cheap the place is. So I say all of that to say, the ministry wasn't broke. Jesus wasn't broke. And it took money to preach that gospel and to travel like that. Now, I'm not saying now he wasn't living no extravagant life. He wasn't doing all of this, you know, crazy stuff. You know, he wasn't buying no fancy, you know, not cars, but horses or whatever. <laughs> Carriages. He wasn't buying no, He wasn't doing nothing crazy. But at the end of the day, The ministry wasn't broke. And someone had to sponsor that. And the Bible says these, just to name a few, were a couple of women that were very wealthy, that were traveling with him and also funding what what they were doing. So I say that it takes money to preach the gospel. That's all I'm saying. And God expects you to do your part. That's all. I'm not asking you to do more than anybody else. Just do your part. And that's one way that you can help expand the kingdom. Some of you can't do nothing but give. And if that's your call, that's what you're called to do, then do it. You know? And then, two, you can be winning souls for Christ. That's that's the primary way to expand um, the kingdom of, of God on the earth. Every time someone gets saved, a new citizen enters the kingdom of heaven. And one of our great goals is to win the loss for Jesus. We want to populate heaven with new citizens on a continual basis. So some of you may be called to just give. You may not be able to, to um, you know, to go out and win souls, but you can give. And then some of you may not have it to really, really, really give like you would like to, but you can, you can win souls. Everybody can do something is what I'm saying. Number three, discipling people and teaching them how to, how to disciple people. (laughs) Winning souls isn't enough. Once the person has been saved, they must be discipled. In other words, they have to learn or be taught how to live a godly lifestyle. They have to learn about God and how to serve him. And this is through discipleship. And many of you, you know, you guys come here and you're discipled. What's important is that you now take what you've learned and you begin to teach it to someone else. So you get discipled, and then you begin to disciple others. You teach, you teach people what you've learned. You don't, you don't come here just to get full, and you'll get everything that you need, and, you, and then, you know, leave everybody else to go to hell. You know, no, you you, you you help others the way you've been helped. You know, the Bible says that we comfort people with the same comfort that we've been comforted with. See, God comforts us in all of our. And so we can go out then and begin to comfort others with what they're going through. Yeah. And then, four, I put that just means then to live right. The greatest witnessing tool that you possess is not, you know, a I love Jesus t shirt or a pamphlet or, <laughs> or, or songs that say, or a sign that says Jesus is coming soon. You know, that's not your greatest witnessing tool. Your greatest witnessing tool is your life, and more specifically, your lifestyle. My friend always says that I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I know that's right. You see, your walk has to line up with your talk. And if you're not living for God, you can tell, you know, you can't tell no one else to live for God you got to do you got to live you got to live for him if you want if you want to be start talking about to other people about living for him you got to be living for him so this is how you begin to do your part in expanding the kingdom of god you can give to a ministry that's working to expand the kingdom of god you can begin to win souls yourself you can begin to disciple people you can begin to encourage people and love on people and share with people what you've learned that's how you can begin to get involved in expanding God's kingdom every day. You know, you don't just come here just to get, you know, you get so that you can give. You know, when, 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 when the guy, when the, the guy was laying at the beautiful, the gate called beautiful, he was, he was laying there. He was laying, he was, he was looking for money. Peter and John comes by and he tells says, look on us. And he's looking on them for, to get some money from them. He says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, and he heals them. So that's the principle of I can only give what I got. So if you receive something, it is your responsibility to then give it to someone else. You received a gift. Now you gift it, re-gift it in return. That's one thing you can re-gift. Don't re-gift a pair of shoes you don't want, <laughs> but you can re-gift <laughs> what God has given to you. You can begin to re-gift that to someone else. <laughs> all right, let me move on. So the bottom line is, I put here, you know. So if you really want to be successful, very first of all, you gotta, you have to, you, you gotta live right, man. And I love this scripture. I was reading this recently. In Isaiah 35 verses 8 through 10, it says there, a highway will be there and a roadway. And it will be called the holy way. I love that. And it says the unclean or those that are living in sin will not travel on it because they don't want to live right or walk right. But it will be for those who walk on the way. The redeemed or people that are saved. And fools will not wander on it because the fool says in his heart that there is no God. No lion will be there. When it speaks of lying, you know, the Bible talks about the devil as a roaring lion walking around around seeking whom he may devour. So no lion will be there. Nor will any predatory animal come upon it or no other demonic power. They will not be found there. In other words, no danger will be found on this way. But the redeemed will walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with shouts of jubilation. And everlasting joy will be upon their heads. On that way, they will find joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing will flee. On this way. And I put here, see, if you want to begin to walk on the holy way, you'll begin to travel on the road where there Will be no danger from the devil. If you walk on this road, it will lead you to joy and gladness, and sorrow and sign will have to flee. And I just put, it sounds good, right? That way sounds good. And I put, well, in order to have this, you must walk the holy way. And whenever you begin to walk on the holy way, there's going to be very few people on that way. No question about that. But whenever you walk the unholy way, it will lead to danger, sorrow, and sighing. You see, danger comes from straying from the path that God has laid for you. When you decide to go your own way, do your own thing, instead of being led by God, you will find yourself on the road that leads to destruction and eternal loss. See, people begin to get in trouble when they stray off the way. God has already given us the way to go. And he says, if you travel this way, you're going to find blessing there. You're going to find opportunities there. Doors are going to open for you there. You'll find success on that road. As soon as you begin to stray, you're going to find your way on a path that leads to destruction. Stay on the straight path. And in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, it says, enter through the straight or the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad and easy to travel is the path that leads the way to destruction and eternal loss. And there are many who enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow and difficult to travel is the path that leads to the way of everlasting life. And there are very few who find it. And in Proverbs 14, 12, it says, there is a way which seems right to a man, and it appears straight before him, but its end is the way of death. And I just put here, you know, it's unfortunate, but there won't be many people that are willing to travel the holy way. The other way just appeals to our carnal natures more. You see, our flesh is in love with sin. We want to do things that will make us feel good. But just because it feels good doesn't mean that it is good. There are many people that we will find on the road that leads to destruction and eternal loss. Why? Because it just looks better. And the Bible says that it's just easier to travel. It's easier to get on that road and it just looks better. It's also a road that just seems right, just seems to be right. It makes more sense to me to travel on this road rather than God's road. I can't do what I feel like doing when I'm on God's road. See, that's the biggest thing. When I'm on on God's road, I can't do whatever I feel like doing. He he wants me to do things a certain way. He wants me to stay away from certain things, you know. When I'm on that way, I can't do what I feel like doing. I don't like that way. The road that the that, uh, the world is walking, I can do whatever I want. Whatever feels good to me, I can just do it. You know, if I like it and I want to try it, I can just go for it. But I can't do that when I'm on God's way. You know, that was the one thing that, that hindered me from giving my life to Jesus for a long time. When I was uh, 16 years old, I gave my life to Jesus in a tent meeting in Newark. I never forget it. But um, I remember, I was, the next day I was talking to my friends. I was like, I know God is real, man. I was touched by God, man. I knew it. I was, I was touched by God, man. But in my mind, I just kept thinking, man, if I start serving God now, I can't do my thing no more. I said, like, I, can't, I can't have no sex no more, man. I can't, I can't drink no more. I mean, I'm thinking all this stuff I can't do no more, you know. I'm like, man, you know, I can't. I know God is real, but I, I still want to do my thing. I'm not ready to give up doing my thing, man. I, I want to do my thing. And uh, for years, I just ran from God. Seven years, I ran from God. I knew he was real. I knew he was calling me, but I just, I, I couldn't give up my life. I wanted to do my thing. But I learned, you know, when I started really walking with God, I said, man, I just, I wasted seven years. That's all I did. I wasted time because this way is so much even though it seemed more difficult, even though it seemed like I was gonna be missing out on stuff traveling this way, I wasn't really missing out on anything. I just thought I was. And that's what the devil will paint a pretty picture for you to make you think that you're missing out on something. You ain't missing out on nothing but a whole lot of heartache and pain. That's the only thing you're missing out on. And for here, you know, of course, you know, there're too many there're there just too many restrictions on God's road. I have to follow too many rules if I get on his road. This other road allows me to do what I want when I want and it's what feels good and right to me. So that road appears to be better and appeals to me more. It just seems right to me. The par- the problem however is not the road, it's the destination. You see, this road, although it looks better and feels better to the flesh and it's easier to travel than the holy way, it's a road that is leading to destruction and eternal loss. See, the road looks pretty, looks easy. I can do what I want. It feels good. I can just do it. But see, it's a road that's leading to destruction. The end, when you get to the end of it, it doesn't give you what it promised. And see, sin never does. Sin always makes a promise that it can't keep. And while the road, the holy way, God's road, seems harder to travel, only because you want to do stuff that you can't do, that's the only reason why it seems more difficult. But see, it's a road that's leading to blessings and favor. And I put here, I'd rather take a more difficult road that leads to peace, favor, and prosperity than to take a road that seems right, but it leads to destruction and loss. That's all the devil got waiting for you, destruction and loss. So travel on the holy way. There is, at the end of the day, there's no other real, if you really want to be successful in life, Stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to do it your own way. Stop trying to do your own thing. Just get on his road and begin to follow that and begin to listen to him and begin to get wisdom from him and begin to obey. If you do that, it will lead you to blessings and favor. It'll lead you to opportunities. It'll lead you to open doors. Now, it may not seem easy to go that way, not to the flesh anyway, but if you begin to travel that way, God will begin to really take you places that you've never thought you'd be before. And the bottom line is, there just is no other way. In John 14, 1 through 6, it says, don't let your heart be troubled. He said, believe confidently in God and trust in him. And he says, believe also in me. And he says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places, or there are many mansions. And he says, if it were not so, I would have told you, because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to myself so that where I am, you'll be also. And the place where I'm going, you know the way. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus says to him, I am the way. The real truth and the real life. No one comes to the father but through me. See, there, there is no other way. I know a lot of people want to tell you there's many different ways and stuff like that, and we hear that constantly, but there is no other way. <laughs> he is the way. He's the truth, and he's the life, the, the only real one. And that's why we need to stop playing around and just, if you really want to be successful and stop messing around, stop messing around and get focused. Don't follow the path that's leading to destruction. He's tell, this is the way to go. Walk in it. I love one scripture says that you'll hear you'll hear a voice behind you in your ear that says this is the way walk in it. This this is the way to go. Don't go that way. This is the way to go. You hear it. You know you may not listen to it, but you hear it. This is the way. Walk in. Don't go that way. That way is gonna. Don't mess with that person. He gonna break your heart. Don't get involved with this business deal. It's not gonna work right out well for you. You, you, hear, you hear the voice, but oftentimes we just ignore it and, and go that way. And then in the end, w- with a heart, with a broken heart. Now we look, well, God, why God, why did you let me get into that? I told I, I talked to you. I told you, don't go that way. Go this way. On that way, it may take a little longer. It may seem like it's more difficult. But if you'll begin to walk that way, eventually, God will begin to turn things around for you and you'll wind up being on top. And I put here, you know, the bottom line is, you know, this life, in this life, God wants to bless you. He wants you to enjoy life. But the ultimate prize is getting to heaven. That's it. And if you want to make it to heaven and enjoy the mansion that Jesus has prepared for you, you can't go any other way but the holy way. And the holy way is through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way. And I put here, don't waste your time looking for a way around him. There's no way around Jesus. He's the only way to the Father. And if you're going to make it in, you have to play by his rules. You have to accept the sacrifice that he made for you and begin to walk that holy way. See, now I'm just talking about putting, making things priority, putting first things first. You want everything else? That's all right. Put this first. Get, get in line with this first. And then everything else will begin to fall in line. Because he'll begin to give you direction to the other stuff. If you focus on him first, and I put this, see give God, again, give God the first part of your day. Give him your best, you know. Don't, don't give God leftovers, give God your best, everything you got, give him your best. Because all he wants to do is turn around and give you his best. But he just wants you to put him first. Just, just put me first and I'll give you the rest. Don't worry about anything else. Give him the first part of your day. Give him the best part of your day. And I put here, you know, think of, give God the first part of your week. By coming to church on Sunday, give him give the first day of your week. Make, make it a, if you want to do something as a habit, religiously, come to church. Get the word of God. Give him the best part of your week, the first part. praise him. You know, I was just talking about, talking today about, we need to learn how to praise God more. First, you battling with something, you struggling with something, you're, you're feeling like you're going into a, a depression, you need to learn how to praise your way out of it. That's why we start this service off with praise. It pushes that stuff off of us. It pushes all of that mess off of us when we begin to praise God. You praise him first. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. That's how you get into the courts of God. You begin to praise him. You get all of that crap off of you from from a bad day. You just, just sit inside the car for a minute and just give God praise. And get into his presence. And then things will begin to look different for you. And then things will begin to change, and you'll begin to chase devils out of your life. You begin to praise God, the devil will start running from you. Because he don't want to be around no praise. He want to be around depression. He wants to be around complaining. He wants to be around, you know, when people are sad. That's where he wants to hang out at. He don't want to hang around nobody that's praising God. You want to get him out of your house? Start praising God. You want the devil to, to, to be, you know, hanging out with you and, and, and spending time with you? Then, then, then start complaining. Start feeling sorry for yourself. You'll have the devil be your roommate. I'm telling you, man, he'll, he'll, he'll move in. You and the devil. Nobody will feel sorry for you. Don't worry about it. I'll feel sorry for you, devil, you know. Tell me about all your problems. You know, the devil will listen to all your problems. You know? Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> and, uh, he, 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 he was, you, somebody said, you know, my pastor said, you invite the devil for lunch, he'll bring his pajamas. You <laughs> he, start messing around with the devil, man. He, next thing you know, he living and he's living with you. You want to get him out your house real fast? Start praising. Throw some music on start praising God. That devil be running down the street. You don't want to be around nothing like that. You start giving God glory. God, I thank you. I worship you. That would be like, what's wrong with you? Don't you know you're going through right now? That's all right. God's been good to me. I worship you, God. I give you all the praise. You're just so amazing, man. That was, I'm getting out of here, man. I'm going to some place where they're depressed. I'm going there. You got to learn how to push the enemy off. And if you give God praise first, you'll begin to push the enemy off. When they asked, they said, who should go out to battle first? They said, send Judah first. Judah in the Hebrew means praise. Send, whenever you're going to fight the enemy, send praise first. Send praise at the enemy. The, praise will destroy any enemy you got. It's a mighty weapon. In your mouth, if you begin to loose it against the enemy, praise him first. And and in Judges 20, 18, it says, and the children of Israel rose and went up to the house of God and asked counsel of God and said, which of us shall go up first to the battle against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. Praise is always sent out to battle first. Because it can defeat the enemy. All right. I'm going to get ready to close here. But I just, I wanted to begin to share this stuff with you because I I don't, I I didn't, I don't want you to begin to overcome this year. This, this is, this can be your year for a tremendous breakthrough. But you just got to put God first. That's all. If you just put him first. Now. I share this one thing with you, and I'm going to uh and I'm gonna close. Now, this is an amazing scripture because what has happened is God is God is literally giving Jacob a dream as to what to do. Now, now this is now Jacob. Now, you know your story of Jacob. He deceived his brother. You know. Well, first of all, he. He took his birthright. He sold his birthright to him for a bowl of stew, right? Uh, Esau was hungry, came out the field. He said, I'm going to die, you know. So Jacob said, well, if you, he said, give me some of that food you got. He said, well, if you sell your birthright to me, then I'll give you this, you know, bowl of stew, right? So he sold his birthright to him for a bowl of stew. You know, God showed me something out of that I don't want to get to, but He showed me why he could never be trusted. Esau could never be trusted with anything valuable because he was willing to give up one of the most precious things for a bowl of stew. You know what the birthright meant? It was a, the birthright was an entitlement. As the firstborn, you got a a double portion of the inheritance of of your family. And you were the head of the family. He was willing to give that up. For a bowl of soup. He can never be trusted with anything. He didn't understand value. And I see that's people that cater to their natural desires right now, something as a temporary pleasure, instead of thinking about their eternity, their future. I'm hungry now. I know that's what I'm gonna get in the future, but right now I'm hungry. So anyway, I won't even get into all that. So he does—he does this, right? So he did, then, the Bible says that that the father, Isaac, he begins to—he gets blind in his eyes, and he calls in Esau. He, he says, "I want you to go." you know, catch me a deer and make me food like I love it, you know. And he said, when you come back, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you my blessing, you know. And the blessing was a spiritual inheritance. See, the birthright was a natural inheritance, but the blessing was a spiritual inheritance. So Esau wanted that. He didn't care about the birthright, but he wanted the spiritual blessings. So he goes out, but the mother of, you know, Jacob and Esau heard it. So she tells Jacob, who's her favorite son, I want you to, you know, I'm going to put this hair on you from a, from a, you know, goat so that you feel like you're, because Esau was hairy and he was smooth. So she puts this goat hair on him, you know. And then she makes this deer for him, for his father. He says, now I want you to go in there and act like you're Esau. Now Isaac is blonde, so he can't tell by sight who he is. Jacob comes in and says, you know, all right, dad, rise up, you know, eat my food. He said, who are you? He says, it's Esau, your firstborn, right? So he says, well, you said, come here, let me feel you. You know, so he comes near him, and he feels him, and he feels the hair on him. And he says, man, the voice sounds like Jacob, but you feel like and smell like, you know, Esau. So he takes the food, and he eats it. And he he blesses him and makes him, he puts him in charge of the family. Now Esau comes in, and Esau says, okay, you know, Jacob's gone. He's finished. He got his blessing. He out the door. Esau comes in, and he says, all right, Dad, you know, rise up and eat. And he's like, what? Who are you? He says, I'm Esau. He said, Esau just came in here and got this blessing. And, And then Esau got upset, found out, you know, it was Jacob that deceived us, you know, both of them, took the blessing. So now Esau says, soon as my father dies, I'm killing Jacob. That's it. As he's, he's, soon as my father dies, I'm killing him. So Jacob, bottom line is, he has to flee. And he goes to his uncle Laban's house, who's in, you know, who's his mother's brother. And he's there working for 20 years. He works for two wives. I won't go into the whole story. But this guy, Laban, took Jacob for a ride, and he was a bigger con artist than Jacob ever was. The Bible says he changed his wages ten times, made him work 14 years for his daughter, two daughters, and then another six years so that he can acquire goods, you know. This guy took him for a ride. But God gives him, i want, this is where I'm going with this, God gives him a dream. And in a dream, he got an idea. I'm saying this because I want to I let you know that it's very important to put God first, because when you put him first, then he'll begin to give you ideas, and he'll begin to give you dreams. Now, when Jacob leaves to go to Laban's house, he finds this place called Bethel. He calls it Bethel, which means the house of God, because that's where he first had an encounter with God. And he says, all right, he says, if you will give me, you know, keep me in the way, if you'll give me food to eat, you know, clothing, you know, you make sure you bring me back this way, you make sure I'm safe, he says, then you'll be my God. Because at that point, he wasn't, he wasn't Jacob's God, he was his father's God. He says, if you do that for me, then you'll be my God. And he says, in everything that you give me, I'll give you a 10% of it. When he leaves, Going to Laban's house, he has a stick in his hand. That's his only personal possessions. That's all he got. He goes there. He works for 20 years. Then God gives him a dream. I want you to check this out. Genesis chapter 30. Now, I want to read a good portion of this because I, I want you, to, you guys to kind of get this whole thing that's going on. But Genesis chapter 30. And I want you to go there because I really want you to check this out with me. All right. Genesis chapter 30. And I'm reading here in the uh, amplifier version. So let's pick it up and um, let's see here. Verse 24. Twenty-five. So it says there, now when Rachel had given birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away, that I may go back to my own place and to my own country. And it says, um, he says, give me my wives and my children from whom I have served you and let me go, for you know the work which I have done for you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, stay with me, for I have learned that the Lord has blessed me because of you. And he said, name your wages and I'll give it to you. And it says, and Jacob answered, and he says, you know how I have served you and how your possessions, your cattle and your sheep and goats have fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased and multiplied abundantly and the Lord has favored you with blessings wherever I turned. But now, When or how shall I provide for my own household? And Laban asked, What shall I give you? Jacob replied, You shall give me nothing. But if you will do this one thing for me, which I now propose, I will again pasture and keep your flock. So bottom line is, Laban at this point, he knows that God is blessing him because Jacob is there with him. And he's saying, Look, just take care of my sheep. You know, What do you want me to give you for it? So he says, I, I, I'll, I'll do it for you. You don't have to give me nothing, but this is what I want you to do for me. Now he's telling them what he wants him to do. He says, Let me pass through your entire flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every dark or black one among the lambs and a spotted and speckled among the goats. And those will be my wages. So he says, You know, so there's white sheep, there's sheep that got some speckled in it, there's black sheep. You know, so he says, all of the white sheep are yours. Let me go in and I'll take out the speckled and the brown and anything that got any kind of, you know, color in it. Those will be mine. And he says, the reason why is so that my honesty will be evident for me later when you come for an accounting concerning my wages. So at the end of this thing, nobody will be able to say nobody cheated anybody because all of the white sheep are yours. And all of the other kind of, you know, speckled and grizzled and black sheep, those are mine. And he says, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and dark among the young lambs, if found with me, shall be considered stolen. And Laban said, good, let it be done as you say. But now check this out. So on that same day, Laban secretly removed the male goats that were streaked and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone with white on it and all the dark ones among the sheep, and put them in the care of his sons. So he took out every sheep that Jacob said would be his. He took them out of the sheepfold and gave them to his sons to take care of. So now Jacob is sitting there with nothing but Laban's sheep, taking care of all his sheep. And the Bible says, and he put a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob was then left to care for the rest of Laban's flocks. So now J- Jacob has nothing but Laban's flock, and he has to take care of them. But God gives him an idea. Now, it doesn't say it here, but in the next chapter, he says God gave him a dream of doing this, that he does right here. It says, then Jacob took branches of fresh poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white in the branches. So he took these branches that were brown, brownish, right? And when he peeled them, you could see white in them. And it says, and then he set the branches which he had peeled in front of the flocks and the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink. So they made it and conceived when they came to drink. So what happened was these sheep, they began to give birth as they drank. So Jacob put these, these, uh, you know, these these things in front of them, these tree branches in front of them, with speckled and spotted, he put it in front of them, their eyes when they when they came to mate. And he says, um, in verse thirty nine, so the flocks made it and conceived by the branches, and the flocks gave birth to streak, speckled, and spotted offspring. And Jacob separated the lambs as he had done with the peeled branches. He made the flocks face toward the streak and all the dark or black in the new flock of Laban. And he put his own own herds apart by themselves and did not put them where they could breed with Laban's flock. Furthermore, whenever the stronger animals of the flocks were breeding, Jacob would place the branches in the side of the flock in the watering troughs so that they would mate and conceive among the branches. But when the flock was sickly, he did not put the branches there. So the sicker animals were Laban's, and the stronger ones were Jacob's. So Jacob became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks of sheep and goats and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. There's such a powerful principle here, which is you will begin to, whatever you look at, you will begin to conceive and give birth to. So these animals, they were all white because Laban took all the sheep that would have been Jacob's. So all he was left with was white sheep, which belonged to Laban. So when he put these these, uh, branches in front of them with the peeled white in them, when they looked at it and they were giving birth, they give birth to speckled sheep. Only God can give you an idea like that. Only God can give you an a night. And these things, are they are looking at it when they're giving birth, and as a result, they give birth. So whenever there was a strong animal, Jacob would put that thing in front of him when he was, when he was about to give birth. And, they, and when he gave birth, they were speckled and spotted, and they belonged to Jacob. And by the time he left, he was so wealthy. He said, when I left this place, I had a stick in my hand. And he says, now my return, I am two armies full of people. He had so much stuff, it was ridiculous. He gave, because he was trying to appease his brother Esau, he gave him hundreds of sheep as a gift. That's how much he had once he left. He was was so wealthy, it was ridiculous. But God gave him one idea. See, if you begin to put God first, he'll give you ideas that only he can come up with. Who would ever think to do something like Jacob did? God visits him in a dream and shows him that. And as he begins to do it, he gets all of these, he begins to grow his wealth. All you need is one idea from God. And that's why I said put him first. Because if you put him first, he'll give you an idea he'll give you ideas he'll speak to you and you'll, and if you begin to do those things then you'll begin to prosper if you do it on your own you're going to have to try to figure it out how to make it on your own but if you begin to listen to the voice of God as he's speaking to you you're going to get some ideas some ideas that are going to take you I mean going to take you further than you can ever thought you would ever go never forget that and also, never forget that, that lesson. Whatever you look at constantly, it'll begin to grow on you, and you'll begin to give birth to it. And that's why things like vision boards are important. Putting the right things in front of your eyes. You know, not looking at the wrong things. Because whatever you look at on a constant basis is going to grow on you, and you're going to give birth to it. And that principle can work for you or against you. That's why David says, I'll put no wicked thing in front of my eyes. The eyes are so important because they have a connection to your mind. And whatever your dominating thought is, that's where you're going to begin to go. All right, I got to close here. We're we're, going to close right here. Just lift your hands to Jesus. We're going to close right here. We're going to stop. We got to get out of here. But, Father, we just want to thank you, Lord God. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for speaking to us, for ministering to us. We want to thank you for everything that you said today. I pray, Father, in Jesus' mighty name that you burn this word on the inside of our hearts. Let us us receive. Let us receive it. And I pray, Father, in Jesus' name that your people will not only hear this word but begin to do it. That they'll begin to flow in it. And I'm really believing that this will be the best year that your people have experienced in their whole entire lives. That 2019 will be a year of such extraordinary breakthroughs and favor prosperity for the people of God all you ask is that we put you first and if we put you first you said in your word that all these other things that we are seeking for these things that we desire we're running after for you said you just give them to us only if we would seek you first you'll give us ideas and wisdom and visions and dreams and we begin to implement them we'll begin to prosper. And Father, for it, we just want to thank you. We bless you. God, we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Come on, let's just give Jesus a praise as we close the service. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Thank you.